This podcast discusses content that may be triggering for some listeners. Please be advised, discussions include gambling language, types of gambling, and addiction. Hello and welcome to the Hidden Addiction Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center under the New York Council on Problem Gambling. Across New York State, we have seven resource centers dedicated to connecting individuals to care. We are here to increase awareness about problem gambling and advocate for support services for persons adversely affected by problem gambling. Gambling is defined as risking something of value on a game of chance. There can be many types of gambling and it can affect anyone at any time in their life. It may not be talked about often and kept in the dark, but we hope this podcast sheds light on the hidden addiction of gambling and brings forth resources and information for you to use. Welcome to the Hidden Addiction Podcast. We are recording episode nine, and today we're going to be discussing gambling and the military. My name is Amanda Quintana, and I'm one of the program managers with the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center. I am joined by some lovely guests, and I'm going to ask my other guests to introduce themselves. All right, I'll go. (laughs) Hi, I'm Dave Yeager. I am a veteran of the United States Army, and I'm also in recovery for problem gambling. Thank you for going first, David. I'm Jonathan Crandall. Uh, I'm the Veteran Outreach Coordinator for the New York Council on Problem Gambling. And I'm also Colleen Jones with the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center. Um, We are happy to have both of our guests here today. So just jumping in, as I mentioned, we're going to be discussing uh, gambling and the military. So I know that you already kind of touched on this in your intros, but can you, uh, both Dave and John, can you just tell me a little bit more about your relationship to the military? Yeah, I I have, I'm an 11 year veteran of the U.S. Army. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I was in actually for two periods of service. I was in from um, 1987 to 1991, and then from 1998 to 2005. Um, it was during that second time that I was in the military that I actually fell into my gambling addiction. I was stationed in Korea after, not a month and a half after 9-11, and found one of the, you know, casino-style slot rooms that was on the base. And long story short, I made probably the biggest mistake a budding compulsive gambler can make. I won. Um, and there's a lot behind that in terms of what was going on at that time. But suffice it to say, that was kind of the spark that started my gambling addiction. It was slow and steady at first, but it kind of ramped up very quickly. And so that that's kind of my relationship to the military and then also kind of my relationship of gambling within the military. And I, I served eight years in the Marine Corps from 1998 to 2006. Um, I was stationed on Camp Lejeune stateside. My addiction was alcohol. I wasn't, I never came in contact with gambling and I'm sure we'll touch base on this later in the podcast, but I really wasn't aware of it until I took the position at the New York council um, on just the severity of it within the military. Thanks. So Dave, um, you know, could you just tell us a little bit more, you know, as we're talking about the military and veterans and gambling, you know, how, how did your gambling affect your life, both, um, you know, like in the military itself and in your own personal life? Sure. 
Yeah. Um, when I fell into my addiction while I was in Korea, I was stationed there by myself. My then first wife and my kids were back here in the States. And there was a lot of stress that went along with it. Number one, I'm going into a foreign country right after 9-11. I had been in and out of arguments with my my ex. You know, I missed my two young children. They were they were just little kids at the time. So as the as the time progressed and as my addiction got gradually worse while I was in Korea, it kind of escalated. I went from giving increasing excuses to my ex as to why I needed more money to then borrowing from my subordinates, which if you know anything about the military and non-commissioned officers in the military, that's a huge no-no, to then eventually actually stealing from my own unit and then confessing that theft because I just, I'm not that, I'm not that type of person underneath, but that's kind of what the addiction did to me. I did lose rank while I was in the military, moved on from Korea, regained that rank and then even some more rank and then lost it again when I fell back into my addiction to the point where it got me put out of the military. The odd thing is through all of this, while I was you know, losing rank and everything else, I was actually getting very good evaluations because all of the other things I was doing outside of the addiction were good things. You know, They were things that were, you know, highlight, would have been highlights of my career had I not fallen into that addiction. So fast forward beyond the military, it got progressively worse until it created a divorce, my, fir- my divorce from my, my first spouse. Uh, I lost contact with my children for two years. I went in and out of jobs after I got out of the military, mostly because the job interfered with my time gambling. Found myself in and out of hospitals after four suicide attempts, um, and then finally decided to seek help in originally in 2007. So that's, that's kind of was the progression of my gambling through and after my military. So I think something that you brought up, um, you said you're, you're lonely, right? You're by yourself. Um, and it's funny, um, Amanda and I were just talking and I have some family members who are in the military and, um, I was talking to one of them a little while ago and she's out of the military now, but she was telling me when she first got stationed down in Texas, she was like, I I Googled how to make friends because she was like, I was all by myself. I didn't know anybody. And while she, you know, she doesn't have any gambling problem, I think that that could potentially be one of, you know, the risk factors, so to say, or one of the reasons some people may start gambling, especially in the military. Do you guys have any like statistics or facts about, you know, why military may be at um, a higher risk to start or develop a gambling problem? A couple of different factors from my own perspective before I turn it over to John is, is yeah, number one, you can be put out, especially young people. They're coming into the world, maybe out of high school, living with their families, and all of a sudden they're out on their own, uh, maybe overseas, maybe out in Texas, like you had mentioned, or somewhere where they'd never been before, around nobody that they know, in an environment that they don't know. And there's a lot of stress that goes along with that. Because of the military environment and because of the fast pace and the intensity of the military environment, there's also some stress that goes along with it. So you couple all that along with the fact that there are so many opportunities right now for anybody to gamble, whether it be online, whether it be casinos, whether it be sports betting, whatever it happens to be, and you get almost a perfect storm of opportunity for people to do that. Couple that with an overseas tour or a deployment, and now you've intensified it even more, and now you've created even more of that environment. Plus, in the military, there tends to be a good deal of downtime, especially out in the field. That downtime can be filled with card games. It can be filled with, you know, chucking pennies. It can be filled with dice. 
So there can be gambling in that environment because usually, and especially in the field, there's no alcohol out there. It's not like people are out there drinking. So that's just my own take on it. And, you know, I'll turn it over to, I'll turn it over to the expert and let John pick it up from here. That's, that's the first joke of the day. No, <laughs> no I want, I'd like to circle back to something that David stated earlier, but revolving around risk factors for military, Dave covered it. There's certainly a link between several aspects of military experience, whether it be stress, boredom, loneliness. Studies have shown that the most or the more robust severity of gambling happens post-deployment. And that could be for a variety of reasons. It could be one, trauma-related conditions, trying to cope with that. Two, loss of support. You know, when you come home, there is kind of a, there is a homecoming. Everyone's happy to see you, but that fizzles out quickly. And then you're left to deal with what you come home with typically by yourself, especially if you're transitioning out of the military. Um, so I've spoken to a lot of veterans that have used gambling as a form of coping for post-traumatic stress, TBIs, anxiety, depression, loneliness. To circle back real quick, Dave was talking about um, his story in the military and how his performance evaluations were, were great while all this was occurring. Now, I had stated that you know, while I was in, I struggled with alcohol, but I, again, like Dave, my performance evaluations were stellar. Um, I achieved sergeant in less than three years and I was taken care of. I got a DWI that was essentially swept under the rug because my platoon commander took care of me. So that enables individuals. And when there aren't consequences, right, the future consequences begin to, to, to grow. Um, so I just wanted to make, make an example of that is a lot of times soldiers, Marines, sailors, airmen, you know, and again, this is called the hidden addiction, the hidden podcast you don't see it because they're just carrying on. They're carrying on their duties. They're performing well. So just unit leaders understanding the warning signs and just checking on your battle buddies. One thing I'll mention, a protective factor for, for gambling, studies show that social support, so that battle buddy can take a veteran or an active duty service member from at-risk gambling and bring them back to social gambling. They can be there to, to ensure that the time limits are, are uh, set, to ensure that, you know, hey, you said you're only going to spend $100 you know, let's get out of here. So that social support is huge. And again, going back to post-deployment, um, there needs to be more measures taken to, to encourage more support for individuals, especially transitioning out. Can I just bounce on that for a second and say too, that along with that, you know, and, and thankfully you were able to kind of get through that and then get the help that you needed. What happens a lot of times is particularly with gambling addiction is that there are no programs in place in the military to offer to people who fall into a gambling addiction. What, what happens in the military is it's not a gambling problem, it's a money problem. So, and anytime you fall into a money problem, you become a risk to your unit. So there's a, a, an intensified fear of saying anything about that addiction because now you risk losing rank, you risk being, risk being put out of the military, you risk penalties being punished basically because you don't want to say anything about the gambling problem and admit there's a gambling problem because as soon as you say that, now it becomes a financial and money problem and that's your problem, not something that somebody can help take care of. So I think that's a huge missing gap right now in terms of you know stigma, in terms of fear, in terms of service members talking about what's going on with them. I can remember when I fell into my addiction and I kept trying to tell people in the mental health community, in the military, what was going on with me. Nobody really knew what to do with me. I was put in front of drug and alcohol counselors. I was put in front of mental health counselors. Nobody ever once used the word gambling with me. And nobody ever once said, this is what's happening and here's what we need to do about it. So I just, and I, I know that probably it's improved over what it was when I went through it. 
But from what I hear, it's still not where it needs to be. And I think that's a huge gap right now. So I actually have two kind of questions off of that that I'm just thinking about. Um, and one of them, I think I know the answer to based on what you're saying. But, you know, at the at the Problem Gambling Resource Centers, we talk a lot about screening, right? Screening for um, for gambling. So my first question is, you know, is there any screening that happens when um, you're either, you know, going to see the doctor or the mental health counselor, whoever it is that you you are seeing. And then the other question I had, which we can, you know, get back into this is we're talking about finances just as maybe even a protective factor. Like you think about the people joining the military, a lot of those who are enlisted are joining at 18, 19, 20 years old. Is there enough financial resources that even about like balancing a budget when you when you join the military, um, things that maybe they don't know about and they're not even realizing how this could be affecting their finances, how gambling can play a role in that. Absolutely. So there's two things with, with screening. In 2017, the Government Accountability Office came out with a report, and it essentially stated that the DOD wasn't doing enough. There was underreporting. Um, veterans, active duty service members were not being screened enough. The DOD responded by saying that, you know, it's such a small problem that they don't really need to pay attention to it. Well, it's such a small problem because it's being underreported. Now there is a, uh, I pulled this off a Reddit, off of a subreddit. Um, there's an annual health screening, health assessment that is done. And this subreddit, uh, it was titled, the person wrote, so every year in the military, I do a mental health assessment over the phone. They asked if I had a gambling problem, here's what not to say. And then the comments, I highlighted so many of them. Some of them are off color that I, I can't share, but you know, one that I highlighted, never volunteer information. Just don't share any info. You wouldn't mind going public. Where else here? There's, um, you know, it's an investment, not a gamble, duh. You know, off color, just making fun of it. And then this other person said, I tried a cigar once, once, and I was truthful about it. That haunted me until I got out eight years later. Be smart. So there's a stigma behind, you know, as Dave said, there's a huge stigma, especially when it comes to financial um, insecurity to, to, to divulge that information and make that be known. Um, there's security clearances at risk, reputations. And, and the other thing I wanted to mention is Dave covered on, there's nothing specifically targeted to gambling. When I got my DWI, I was sent to a class for a week with another NCO of mine that had gotten one around the same time as me. And so there were services for us, but I, like I said, I never heard anything about gambling until I got this job. Yeah, and just to, to bounce on that a little bit, I'm glad you brought up the GAO. The, the National Council on Problem Gambling did a lot of work to get that question put back into the annual health screening, which had been pulled out in the early 2000s and just ignored until the NCPG got involved in, and lobbied to get it put back in. And the unfortunate part is it's basically just a brush over question. And I've heard stories, you, you alluded to it, John, um, I've heard stories from people who said, when they're asked that question, you know, have you ever had a gambling problem? Literally, the person asking the question is shaking their head no as they're asking the question. You know, literally having them deflect the answer to kind of protect themselves. And that's, that's not good. That's not good. That's not destigmatizing the problem. That's deflecting the problem. Yeah, it sounds like just within the military, there's definitely this culture to kind of not disclose. And so I guess one of my questions is, you know, Dave, when you did kind of come out and, and talk about what you were experiencing, um, would you mind sharing a bit about that with us? What did it look like for you when you were getting help and 
what did you experience? Yeah, okay. I guess there's kind of two parts to that. When I finally came clean that I had a major problem, like I said, while I was in the military, again, there was a lot of confusion. When I was let out of the military, I was actually sat down to get my punishment from my unit commander while I was in an acute psych center, civilian psych center, in their conference room. That's where I got told that I was going to get punished for it. And then basically what they did is they said, listen, we know you're struggling. We can't really help you. We don't know what to do. But oh, by the way, we're going to put you out of the military. We're going to do you a favor and get you out of the military. To be honest, they did me a favor because I was let out under honorable conditions, which allowed me to get the care ultimately that I needed through the VA system. You know, fast forward in civilian life, I did when I when my gambling problem reached a point of that rock bottom space where I just I was ready to just give up. And after, you know, wanting to hurt myself and the things that I did, I was in and out of VAs. You know, they they would talk to me about beliefs and they would, you know, there was a lot of different techniques that were used, but nobody again ever used the word gambling until finally one counselor at a local VA said, by the way, it sounds like there's a gambling issue here. There's a center out in Cleveland that may be able to help you. And they gave me a packet on it. And then I did the rest of the work. Nobody made the calls for me. Nobody did a referral for me. I made the calls to the then leadership at that, that program. And they were actually able to get me into the program. And then for the first time in, I don't know how many years since that had first started, I guess six years since I first started having that problem, finally, I walked into an establishment where somebody, the first words out of their mouth made sense to me in terms of what I was going through. And immediately I felt a sense of relief and a, and a kind of a sense of surrender at that point that, okay, they've got this. Now I can let go and let something start to happen. But it took finally six years of struggling until somebody finally came to me and said, we get it and here's what we can do. Yeah, it sounds like just with with gambling specific, obviously, um, there is so much stigma that surrounds the addiction, and even kind of echoing what you're saying about no one even naming the problem with you. And finally having someone say, oh, this sounds like gambling can be such of a release. Like, oh, this is not just me. This is not just a me thing. It's not just a financial thing, but gambling and the addiction of gambling and how it's impacting my brain. You know, like it, it sounds like it was very validating just to hear someone else say it. Yeah. And, and that's, I think where, the, I think that's where it really hit home. I knew what I was doing. I knew I was gambling. I knew I had a problem, right? But I thought nobody could ever possibly understand what I was going through and the thoughts that were going through my head and what was the, the, the stuff that was rolling around in there. And, and I called it the Jekyll and Hyde disease because, you know, <clears throat> while I am this, this caring, compassionate, loving human being, I'm also terrorizing everybody around me and using people around me and lying and deceiving in order to feed my addiction. And I thought nobody could ever understand this struggle between these two until I finally stepped into that building and somebody said, here's what's going on. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm not alone anymore. You know, somebody can understand. It really took that moment. And really, that's the moment we need to give more people before it gets to that point to say, we know it's out there. We get it. These are the things that can happen. If you can identify with this, reach out. We can help you. That's what I think is missing. Yeah, I, I really love how you frame that, um, the Jekyll and Hyde, how you feel like you're kind of living this double life and you're doing these things at the same time, but also very separately. And something else is just really getting back to reducing that stigma and being able to have those conversations. So I do want to ask, and this 
probably is a big question, but what do you think we can do? What can our, our country do? What can we do as, as a whole um, to reduce this stigma to, you know, like you said, be able to intervene with individuals before they get that far down the path? To be honest, I think you're doing it now. Um, you know, at least at some level, the things that, that John's doing and the things that you're doing right now with this podcast, just communicate. Just get the information out there. Make people aware that this is very real and that this is very destructive and that if somebody is going through this, they're not alone. And there are people out there that can identify with what they're doing. Taking it a step further, my hope is down the road that at some point we start to get some sort of communication and dialogue open with the Department of Defense and some of the departments like Department of the Army, Navy, you know, and whatnot to say to get them to finally say, yes, we agree this is a problem. How do we step into this and start creating, you know, some solutions for that? My hope is the things that we're doing now, you know, like what John's doing and like what you guys are doing with the podcast and, you know, all of this sort of thing will raise that awareness to the point where we can start that dialogue. With the military, I think it's going to be hard. The purpose of the military is to be mission capable, right? And, and Dave touched on it where he had said he heard where individuals are being asked questions about gambling and while they're asking the questions, they're, they're shaking their head. No, that's so that they can continue to be mission capable. That's so that individual doesn't raise any red flags that may take them out of the fight and they can drive on. Now, when people, they put the blinders on until somebody does something so severe that they have to take care of it. Once that happens, okay, we'll take care of that individual. We'll discharge them. We'll get rid of them. What they need to realize is if they can step in, before it gets too bad, or if they identify somebody and take them out of the fight for say six months, maybe even a year until they can get help. You could then have that person for another 10, 15 years instead of just getting rid of them. So I think raising that awareness uh, on a broader scheme, educating, you know, unit commanders, units, again, I don't know, it's going to be a big fight, right? Because the, the military is there to be mission capable. But if we can start maybe on the junior level and work our way up, like David had said, you know, starting with 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 uh, units local to home and, and just grow from there. Um, but I think what our agency is doing, recognizing that there's a problem in the veteran community, creating that awareness so that people are aware. I, I was at a presentation yesterday and for the first time I heard people say, yes, we've heard stories. And they've told stories of active duty service members lying to their family about being in the field. They're actually in the casino and they're sleeping in their car so that they cannot be home and appear to be in the field. Or, you know, young you know, tw young 20 year olds just spending all of their money on gambling and then being stuck at the barracks because they have nowhere to go and, and no money to do anything with. And younger soldiers, Colleen mentioned it, 18 to 20 brains are still developing. Um, you know, Dave was an NCO. He knows <laughs> the, the one of our worst fears is to see that young private come in and go to a car dealership, you know, and sign up for that $30,000 Mustang or whatever they, they're preyed upon because they're young, they're naive. Um, and just, you know, all the voices are there for them for the taking. Um, we just have to build better awareness that veterans, active duty service members are at risk. Absolutely. And um, John, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that point of, uh, you know, the younger population, because that's something I know just in general, think about, you know, we have mobile sports betting in New York coming down the pipeline, right? So we think about those young brains, what, 18 to 25 already are at risk for something that... Um, 
is on their phone. I think we sent an article out the other day to our clinicians and it was the average person like 18 to 25 picks up their phone an average of like 250 times a day, right? Add in that now you can mobile sports bet in New York on your phone. And if you add in the fact that we have these young people in the military who, you know, maybe have some downtime. I know my family's army is the what, hurry up and wait, right? Is that the that the saying? Um, so you have a lot of downtime. And do they, are they on their phones? Are they are they betting on sports? Like there's so much more access and availability to um to betting online and then you you tie in that combination of you know a young person's brain and it's it sadly unfortunately may mean more problems down the road so i think we really need to focus on you know getting the word out there that help is available trying to reduce the stigma and everything that we're all doing and i kind of want to get to john um i know you've been specifically working um for veteran outreach with the um the problem gambling resource center so i was hoping you could tell us a little bit about you know what you're doing what you're working on um and how that's all going sure absolutely um i started about six months ago i was approached by our director assistant director and just just asked to, to focus on veteran outreach for a while and see how it goes and I want to say for the first week that I started, it was like a rocket ship taking off. The contacts that I made, everybody that is is building awareness towards it and and sees it as a problem. Um, you know, I, I connected with with Dave right off the bat early on. It was a great resource. Um, and one of the first things he said to me is he said he said I'm so glad you know to hear from you because we need more people. And that's one thing I want to mention is we if I could make a battalion of Dave's, we need more individuals that have the lived experience that have come through the other side to share their story as openly as Dave has, because that's gonna reduce the stigma right there. So connecting with those individuals and, you know, I have a lot of irons in the fire. I'm really still trying to get a direction of where we wanna go, but everything from working on policy, like Dave mentioned with the Department of Army, changing that, that National's been doing a great job with, um, working with the VAs, local VAs and their community engagement and partnership coordinators and creating coalitions to create more awareness, not only awareness of problem gambling, but awareness of suicide risk. Because although, you know, we know veterans are at a higher risk of suicide, there are, they're at a higher risk for problem gambling as well. You put the two together, recipe for disaster. Um, there's a lot of co-occurring disorders that come with problem gambling. Not only is usually somebody struggling with problem gambling, you're also dealing with trauma-related conditions or substance use disorders, um, suicidal ideation attempts. Um, so really my biggest part has been just creating that awareness, meeting with individuals, veteran service officers, um, veteran service organizations, just to say, hey, did you know that veterans are at a higher risk for problem gambling? And many say, no, I wasn't aware. And when they sit down and hear my presentation, they're like, wow, I never knew that. And then I have their interest peak. So it is building momentum. So I'm hoping for more to come. I'm hoping to develop more coalitions across the state to raise awareness. I'm hoping to, to uh, you know, identify more um, individuals like Dave that will, are willing to share their stories and just essentially building an army, you know, to, to target problem gambling and creating that awareness. And Colleen, you mentioned about cell phones. That didn't even dawn on me. Until just now, you know, there are there are slot machines overseas. We, we discussed that they generate immense revenue. They're not legal right now at this country, but everyone has a cell phone. So that baffled me. And I and I can picture myself sitting on my rucksack out in the field, just waiting to be picked up or waiting for chow, waiting for something and pull my phone out and bam, start placing bets on what's 
what's coming up this weekend football or what have you that that's scary. Actually in Pennsylvania where I live, it is legal and it's, it's deadly. Not only do we have um, legalized sports betting, we also have legalized online casino and it's, it's a viper. I mean, I don't, I can't tell you the number of people we run into that have gotten themselves into trouble on their cell phones. Yeah, and think about where, I mean, there's army bases all, not just army, military bases all over the U.S. And depending on the laws of each state, there definitely can be online gambling happening at any of those bases. The, the one thing I like to point out with, with everyone here knows, with the mobile sports betting or anything mobile, you don't have that physical currency in your hand. You have your bank account linked to it or your credit card account. And it's so easy to get yourself in deep because you're not really paying attention to what you're spending. It's almost like a video game. It's almost like play money. And it's not, you know, it's, it's your own credit. It's, it's your own well-being. Um, so I, you can see how people can get sucked into it very quickly. It's dangerous, as Dave said. Yeah, and not only that, the, what they're expanding the sports betting into where, where it's not just a line on a game anymore. Now you can... You know, you can bet on whether the next batter is going to get a single, double, triple, or home run. I mean, it's just unreal the amount of things that you can place a bet on today. You know, John, I, I, I know that we were talking before we started recording, um, and you had mentioned, you know, as we know with problem gambling, there's a very high suicidality rate. Both um, attempted and completed rates are, are very high for this addiction. Um, but you mentioned before, and I'm going to ask that you say it one more time, uh, just so that we can have it recorded on the podcast. Can you just discuss the connection that you were saying before? The connection with veterans at a higher risk for suicide and also, so it, it's been known with, with the number of the 22 a day um, that's talked about greatly. It's been very politicized. Um, veteran suicide is something that is, is well known, um, but veterans being at a higher risk for problem gambling is something that is not well known. Veterans are at two times the risk than the general population. Now, that's some old data. There was some research that just came out from the UK that said that their veterans are 11 times more at risk than the general population. So I think it'd be safe to say that that twice or that two times at risk than the general population is low. I think veterans have a much higher risk and it, just the, the research and data hasn't come out yet. So when you put the two together, recipe for disaster. And there's also a link between veterans with combat-related PTSD, gambling, and... Um, uh, suicidal ideations um, are up to 60% higher rates of either ideations or attempts than the general population if you connect gambling and post-traumatic stress. That, on top of that as well, is a veteran that's struggling with pain and is struggling with gambling disorder, they're at a higher risk for suicide than a veteran that's just struggling with pain alone. So throwing in that gambling, that problem gambling behavior, that exacerbates a lot. We talk a lot about problem gambling and gambling addiction. So just considering the reasons for gambling, oftentimes we'll talk about um, why people will start gambling and thinking about what you're saying. One of those reasons that we often list, it, you know, it may be looking for excitement or looking for that adrenaline rush, but it's also looking to escape. Right. And if someone is is dealing with, um, you know, anxiety, they're dealing with PTSD, they're dealing with pain. Right. Gambling oftentimes is viewed as a social anxiety, but also something to do just to kind of get your mind off of things. And we don't often talk about the risks associated. So I think having these conversations, you know, not only just for the general public, but obviously for these populations that are at more uh, of a higher risk, it's important to point out that 
there are risks associated, but on top of that, there's help, right? And, and anyone that's impacted by gambling addiction, by problem gambling, and one thing I don't think we've mentioned yet is how we define problem gambling and the New York Council on Problem Gambling defines problem gambling as literally anytime you're experiencing a problem as a result of your gambling, right? It doesn't mean you're tens of thousands of dollars in debt. Um, it could be that you're spending more than the money you allotted. It could be that you're spending more time than you had initially planned. It could be that you find yourself wanting to lie about the time that you're spending betting or the money that you're spending to your, your loved ones or your significant other. Uh, and that can cause relationship problems that can cause issues you know, within your workplace. Um, it can cause issues within the military, as we've mentioned, right? So just really pointing out that there is help available. You're not alone. I think it's so important just to kind of make those points because although us on this call have these conversations, we know that in the communities, it's not happening as often as we'd like. So I'm just excited to have you know everyone on this call and, and be able to have these discussions and share them with the world uh, because it's, it's important to put that out there. Yeah, and I would... Um... If you, if Dave and Jonathan, I don't know if you can both just kind of share if someone of a veteran or someone in the military is struggling with their gambling, you know, what would you say to them if they're listening into this podcast right now? One thing is I would say help is available. Help is absolutely available. Dave covered it. The Cleveland VA has an inpatient specific for problem gambling for veterans in New York state, anywhere, any County that you live in, there is a problem gambling resource center available to help. Um, if you go on the website, nyproblemgamblinghelp.org, again, that is nyproblemgamblinghelp.org, there is a map of New York State that will come up, and you can click on the county that you reside in, and that will bring you to your nearest problem gambling resource center. There will be a number, there will be contact information where you can reach out to somebody, and they will connect you with our services um, where we have private clinicians that are available to meet one-on-one. -on -one. We have support groups. We have family groups. Um, again, it doesn't have to be the veteran. It can be a family member um, that's struggling or struggling with a veteran's gambling uh, behavior. If you're in another state, I know Dave's in Pennsylvania, if you want to touch base on what's available in Pennsylvania, but across the nation, there's, there is help available. Yeah, there absolutely is help available across the nation. And, 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 you know, most states have a council. PA has their own council as well. You would just look up pacouncil.com and you could find some resources there. Um, I'll say this, if, if you are, and I'll talk to, I want to speak specifically to active duty service members who may be struggling, is that that fear of retribution, that fear of not wanting to say anything, if you allow this disease to progress the way it normally progresses, your career will end long before you say something. So please say something before your career ends. I, I'd be honest with you. I would, if you're in that position, I would rather take through, if I could go back and do it all over again, I, and I knew what I know now, I would rather have taken the risk to get some help and have somebody come down on me for it than to go through what I had to go through over the, over the years that followed my addiction. So the biggest thing I would say is, you know, you, no matter who you are, what veteran, military, whatever, you're not alone. There are plenty of us out there that can completely understand what you're going through, and there is help available for you. Thank you both very much. Um, Dave, before we end, I actually, um, you have a podcast, and I was hoping you could, you know, tell us a little bit more about um, what that podcast is, what it looks like. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's called Fall In, uh, the problem gambling podcast for military service members and veterans. Um, 
I, I created it as a voice for us to do exactly what we're trying to do here to raise awareness around, you know, gambling addiction as an issue in the military. So I've had, you know, people on from advocacy. I've had people on from research, from treatment. Actually, John's been a guest on there before to talk about what New York does um, and veterans outreach. And it's just to give us, you know, veterans in recovery, military in recovery, a platform to know that we're not alone. Um, and it's available on all the same platforms that this one's available on. You can get it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever, you know, you can get podcasts, you can find it. Um, and it's just called Fall In, uh, Problem Gambling Podcast for Military Service Members and Veterans. Thank you, Dave. And like you said before, I think all of us, these podcasts, the councils, all the help that's available is definitely helping to reduce stigma around problem gambling for everyone. So I appreciate, you know, both of you, both of you being on, both of you coming on to talk about problem gambling in the military. Um, we will have in the show notes um, all of the information for the New York Council on Problem Gambling and where you can reach out to get help, as well as we'll put some, um, we'll put Dave's uh, podcast in there as well in case anyone is looking for that. So thank you very much. And it's been great to have the two of you here. Yeah, I just want to say real quick too, if anybody wants to re wants to reach me directly about the podcast, it's just fallinpodcast at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. And it's a wrap. 